Stories from the past to present. This is the history of Ducks hockey. Let's turn the pages back and relive from mighty till now. Welcome to another episode of From Mighty Till Now. To be exact, it is episode number five. And uh, honored to have one of the original Mighty Ducks uh, sitting in front of me in the Korea studios, Mr. Terry Ake. And Terry, thanks for for jumping in. And uh, how's it feel to be in the Korea studios? Well, it's it's a big <laughs> honor, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, when he was drafted, we all knew that, you know, they talked about the star that was coming. Yeah. And uh, I got to meet him the first year of training camp. He stayed at our house a few times made him breakfast multiple times and we went golfing and uh, in training camp, you could tell that there was a special ability there. He had, yeah, he had no idea yet about the national hockey league, but he already looked like he belonged. So it was, uh, it was pretty, pretty interesting. And it was fun watching his career. And of course, as we all know, he's, he's a better, better person than he was a hockey player. And that's saying a lot because uh, obviously he's in the hall of fame. What were your impressions of him when you first met him as a person? Because Paul uh, was very reserved um, throughout his career. And it seemed like he might've been very reserved coming to a place called the mighty ducks of Anaheim. Yeah. Very quiet. That's kind of, that was the first impression, but uh, you know, very humble and, uh, and polite. I mean, he, he came over, we, we would, we had breakfast multiple times. My wife made him breakfast and then we went to play golf and, and then you could see the, analytical mind start to work. Yeah. I mean, the competitiveness, golfing, you know, just every shot, every shot mattered. Every shot was technically sound, uh, already a good golfer and literally only 20 some years old, barely 20 years old. So, uh, a pure athlete at its, at its best. And then when you got on the ice, you not only saw that the analytical mind, but you saw the, the work ethic. And, uh, I really wish I would have had an opportunity to stay here for a couple more years and play with him because it would have been uh, a great learning experience to, ironically, somebody that's three, four years younger than me, to, but to learn from him. And a guy that who was obviously trained very well and brought up to do things the right way. Yeah. Any surprise uh, to see what he was able to do with Tamu Solani and find that kind of chemistry on the ice? No, and it's great that the, you know, and hats off to the Mighty Ducks at that time to go out and get a player that could could partner with them and compliment them because, you know, it could have been a career really wasted had they not done something like that. But what a great pairing that was. I mean, every, everybody needs a, a partner in crime, right? A, yeah. a, a duo because you just, no player can really just do it themselves. I mean, Gretzky had Curry who could put the puck in the net and Lemieux had a handful of guys also to play with them, but all, all players needed a combination. They need a line to make it work. And then they may, they managed to, uh, get a, I don't know how they managed to steal team one of Winnipeg. That deal was best trade in uh Ducks it, history, at least. Yeah. And it's probably arguably in the top 10 of all time trades in the national hockey league based on what uh, Timo ended up doing after that. But Timo already had the resume too. Right. I mean, 76 goals his first season. It's crazy that they were able to steal him out of uh, Winnipeg without it. And that was in a pre-cap era. So cats off to them, uh, turned the organization, uh, into a probably a really exciting place to be for everybody and we had we had great crowds the first year but you know after two or three years if you don't start winning sure you know the interest in the hockey could go down but those two kept it really exciting around here yeah it's interesting southern california you know we've said it so many different times if you're not winning there's so many other things to do because in the midwest and the east especially they show up just to boo or they show up to cheer so you have to be good you have to put a good product on the ice right for for people to want to come on a consistent basis. Yeah, and, it's, and again, you're like you said, it's not Canada where yes. this is the only thing to do. And it's the only thing they think about in Canada. Uh, so yes, th that was really important because it helped. Getting hockey here in California was step one. And obviously Wayne Gretzky bringing hockey to LA was huge. But then getting the expansions in 
Anaheim and uh, later on in, in well, same time in Florida, but then you got Tampa Bay and, and then other Southern teams having uh, Minnesota move to Dallas is all great, but they all have to have some success at some yeah. point. You know, uh, Florida got to the cup early on, probably built a fan base through that. You know, Dallas had some success not long, four or five years after go, going to the finals and, and then eventually winning it. Uh, you know, and Anaheim needed that as well. And those two brought that excitement. You know, and it, it was ironic that it, it took uh, another six or seven years after they parted ways and then Timo comes back for them to win the cup. But it was just, uh, it's been great for hockey in, in North America overall because uh, having hockey down south where all the people, a lot of people live yeah. and there's lots of money has been great for the game. I mean, look where we've come from. Everybody likes to boo Gary, get Barry, Gary Bettman all the time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I say it very fondly is like when yeah. he came in the league league to total revenue was something like 400 million and what is it six eight billion now it's incredible it's uh it's been quite a turnaround but a lot of it's been part two expansion and the development of a lot of those teams but success and if you break that down into its finer points it comes back to guys like paul and timo to making it happen here and madano and dallas and yep. you know the guys van beesbrook and scott mellenby and the guys that took that team to the finals in florida and on and on and on, right? And now the success in Tampa Bay, hockey in the South works. Let's go back to uh, before expansion, though, in your years with Hartford. And, and uh, you know, what was it like playing there? And you played uh, a good, what, four or five years there, I believe. And um, what where was your career going before this whole expansion thing happened? Well, I was hoping it was going really well after my first season. I had a, uh, had a really good year, uh, first season in the American Hockey League at 95 points. And then, unfortunately, had some uh, issues in health-wise in training camp the next year, didn't make the team, went back to the American Hockey League, and I got set back, set back an entire year by, you know, a tough year with the coaching, uh, then a tough season with me, a team that only won 11 hockey games, which set a record for professional hockey futility. So unfortunately, Before you move on from there, the Ducks are experiencing something tough this year. What was that like winning 11 games in it, the National Hockey League? It's not good. It's not good for you. It's not good for your psyche. I mean, I think it's really set me back a lot. So, you know, when the Ducks win hockey games, it's important. It's important not only to win. I mean, everybody can, we can joke about the Connor Bedard stakes, right? Right. Trying to get, you know, that pick. It's not guaranteed because of the lottery, but you still need to win hockey games. These guys need the confidence because some, some guys are going to get a little bit rattled. You know, if you continually are fighting to tie games at the, you know, late in regulation, if you're continually, you know, coming off the ice and you know, the coaches are upset because you've made mistakes that cost you hockey games, it becomes difficult. And that's what that year was like for me. And it took an entire rebuild. And I say all the time that, um, you know, 14 of us went to Springfield the next year and Jimmy Roberts took over, a former Montreal Canadian, six-time Stanley Cup champion. And um, I say to many people, outside of my dad, he was the best coach I ever had. And he turned that group around, um, basic, simple philosophies, philosophies that the Montreal Canadiens had used for many, many years. And we went on. I went right back to leading the American Hockey League in scoring again. And we won a Calder Cup. So we went from 11 wins to a Calder Cup champion the next year with 14 of the same players that played the season before. So then I finally started getting some, some opportunities. I got 15, 18 games that year. The next year I played 20-some. And then I finally got my chance and, you know, freak opportunity, which, uh, you know, it kind of seems to happen that way. You get called up 13, sure. 14 times, get sent down again. And then, um, I, you know, I don't know if I was really on the radar for Hartford anymore. They were probably going to let me go at the end of the season. My contract was up. They called me up because I was leading the 
league in scoring and John Cullen had been suspended for one game. And so you're just coming up for one game. So I just came up in, in my suit and I scored a goal in my first shift, had an assist later in that, in that game. And they said, we want you to come to Ottawa with us. Well, we were going up north where it was cold and I didn't even have a toothbrush in my pocket or an overcoat. So <laughs> I got on the on the bus, then on the plane, we went to Ottawa and a golden assist, including the game winner in the last minute in that game. And then I stayed the rest of the season and that's what uh, led to the opportunity to come, you know, well, I got, I got left unprotected, which I was sort of disappointed, but honestly, that disappointment didn't last very long. Brian Burke called me, who was the general manager of the, the Whalers, and he said, you know, we've left you unprotected. We've got other guys that we, uh, we want to we wanna keep here. It wasn't very many players. It was, it was more than it is today's game, but it wasn't very many. But he said, uh, you know, I said, I think it's going to be a good opportunity for you because you're probably going to get picked. So it turned out I had as many points or more points than anybody else available in the draft, and I was fortunate enough to get chosen here, which was a great opportunity for me. And coming to Anaheim, I couldn't have asked for anything better. So I was disappointed I wasn't protected for about 10 minutes. And as soon as I started getting excited about yeah. the opportunity of coming to Florida or to Anaheim, um, I started to make plans and, and hope that that would happen. And I watched the draft and crossed my fingers and uh, I was fortunate enough to get uh, to hear that, hear my name called. Before we move on to you uh, coming over here to Anaheim, though, we uh, we were chatting before we came on the air about some of the guys that you crossed paths with in Hartford. Uh, of course, Chris Pronger was there. You got him in training camp. You didn't play with them. But then, of course, Pat Verbeek, the current GM for the Anaheim Ducks. First of all, what was what was Pat like? Because um, we hear about, uh, you know, the past and, and the way he was as a player. What did you, what was your experience with him? Well, he was a pit bull. I mean, really, to put it put it mildly, he was a guy that would have. He was he wasn't very tall. I mean, I think five ten maybe, but built like a brick. Yeah, and in on every battle, and somehow still scored forty or fifty goals. Yeah. I mean, it was unbelievable. He had the ugliest stick that you've ever seen in your life. He had a knob that was the size of a the end of a baseball bat. I don't even know. How he held onto the stick, and Yet he could one time it like everybody, anybody. Um, he'd score goals in front of the net with the the biggest guys in the National Hockey League, or he could come down the wing and, and rip it and score, or score one timers off the uh, on the power play like Ovechkin. So, a fully uh, versatile, <laughs> really really good player that um, was also a great leader. So I mean that's just because of the way he worked uh, worked at it every single day. I mean, I didn't get to know him really well personally because uh, he was on a different level sure. than I was at that time. And, you know, I'm I'm doing my best to survive and just stay in the game yeah. uh, early on in your career. And and he was obviously thriving. So um, but, you know, opportunity to play with him for parts of four seasons in Hartford was uh, was really good. You had some great stories about uh, Paul Correa when he came to town uh, with the Monty Ducks. What was it like when uh, a draft pick like Chris Pronger walks in and just a huge individual on the blue line that plays with toughness and edge? I, I'm always amazed when anybody I mean, back then it was even more rare. But when somebody that's 18 years old can come in and look like they belong you shake your head and go, how are they able to do that? Yeah. When I was 18, I was 185, 175 pounds soaking wet. Definitely not ready to play with men, right? And yeah. these guys come in and they have that ability. Now, he wasn't very he very built muscular-wise. I mean, he was already six foot six, but uh, you just watch him skate out there and you're like, this guy is 18. He can probably play here already. And, and that's amazing too, right? Because today's a, today's NHL, you're expected to play at 18, 19 in the NHL. Back then that wasn't the case. That was not the case back in the early, everybody needed maturity and defensemen needed more, right? Mm -hmm. There was the odd forward who could do it. 
Uh, you know, Mario, of course, could do it. But these guys were special. They were a different group. Well, now I think that you thank the Gary Roberts of the world, the guys who train these kids and they start working out at 14 to play in the National Hockey yeah. League. And they're preparing physically to play a man's game at a much younger age. So it's not quite as unusual anymore, but it was unusual because at that time, not very many did it, especially on defense. And, and Pronger was a special, uh, a special person to be able to do that. Fast forward, going back to uh, Anaheim now. So you get drafted the expansion draft by the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim. Mighty Ducks of Anaheim. It's a Disney movie that has become a hockey team. Where it, what impressions did you have of of this organization? Well, I wasn't. I couldn't have been more excited. I might have been one of the more excited guys out there because I had just finally established myself in the National Hockey League and believed I could play here. It was a career year coming off of right in Hartford. Yeah, I had fifty three points in in sixty six games, and it, you know it seemed like uh, my career was finally mm-hmm. going to get on on track after a, you know a rough start and then a little a lot of up and down. Um, and it was an opportunity for me to say, okay, listen, I'm going to go and I'm going to have a chance to play hopefully play good minutes and play with some new guys and make a new impression. And that's what I was looking to do. And it was get here as quickly as possible. And then when the phone rings and Jack Ferrara calls and says, you know, we're excited to have you come on down. We want you to come and look for a place. So we flew out here in the summertime months before the season even started. Then it really starts to hit home. They put you up in the Disney hotel, of course. (laughs) So, you know, they give you all the bells and whistles. There's team dinners with some of the other guys that are in town and you're driving around looking at Anaheim and I was absolutely blown away. Yeah. I grew up on a farm in Manitoba. I mean, there's talk about a fish out of water. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. in November there's three feet of snow and it's 40 below already. Yeah. And you come to Anaheim and it's 65 degres or 80 degrees in the Where middle of summer. Where your flip flops out of the rink. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Right. And that's, uh, it was, it was shocking on, but we see the building and go, yeah, this is still the national hockey league. Yeah. There's going to be 18,000 people watching us. Every single night, this is going to be unbelievable. And there was a lot of shock and awe, but a tremendous amount of excitement as well. Uh, opening night when you came out here and Disney put their stamp on it from an entertainment standpoint, you might not have been able to see all that was happening, but the Iceman and all this stuff and then Tinkerbell on the, the TV. What were the impressions of the guys? I mean, it, it's, hockey's the toughest, the toughest sport out there. And all of a sudden they had this Disney thing going on was it did it take a little time for you to get adjusted and kind of buy into this i think we uh i think we understood that disney was going to put a show on and and for me anyway i i thought that this was going to be the next wave of the national hockey league like why aren't we doing this there's cheerleaders in football why isn't there in hockey and i like to hear your perspective i have not heard that yet that's that's awesome you know they they set it up they set a new standard yeah Um, literally i mean in hartford there was nothing you got on the ice the maybe the music was playing the the organ player was playing they played the national anthem you started a game i think it was time it was time for the national hockey league to start picking it up and now if you look uh the the mighty ducks set the standard for around around the national hockey league for everything from cheerleaders to ice crews to you know mascots to everything else and you know wildling wildwing being one of the best of them still around to this day withstanding the test of time 30 plus years later um is a because uh, credit to the creativeness of of what they did back in '93. Yeah, what was it like traveling to from city to city? Because of course the movie was utterly popular. The fans, I'm sure the kids, and that became like the best selling jersey in the National Hockey League. What was it like being on the road wearing that that Mighty Ducks crest when you went from building to building? I think we were very proud of it. We all were because we had an opportunity to do something special. You know, we we consider ourselves. Um, 
the rejects of every team, you know, and we weren't allowed to say the word expansion, but we were the offloads from every other team. And we were here, all of us, whether we were older, older guys, and we call them older, the Randy Latticeurs mm-hmm. who were 30 and, or the younger guys who from Stephen King and, and myself and Sweeney were in our early twenties. We were the guys that weren't necessarily wanted by our other teams. And we were going to prove these other, you know, these other organizations wrong. There's nothing better than going into Canada on a four game trip and, and sweeping Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, and Winnipeg and getting to fly back. You know, there was nothing better than going into New York, Madison square garden, a team that was going to contend for the cup ended up winning the cup and beating them in our first ever road game. I mean, this was the kind of stuff that really drove the engine for us. And we had enough success early on in some of those games I, I, in New York, winning a couple early here at home on our first five home game homestand to give us a belief that we could do it. And I think we were in a playoff hunt right till the last weekend in the, in the season. And um, that was that made it that made it all worthwhile. Based on uh, all the other teams um, you played for, uh, both here and overseas, when you look at uh, that year, the first year for the Mighty Ducks, were you guys, or should I say, how close were you based on going through this experience together? And you mentioned, you know, guys kind of offloaded from other teams that they didn't necessarily want. You guys coming together, did that make you closer? Yes, it's it's probably closer than you'll ever be with an organization because. You know, there's always going to be guys. You find your friends as the years go on, and or as the as the year goes on, and then if it's multiple years with the same people, you find different friends, and those guys tend to go out to dinner together. They're the ones that'll play golf together. They're the ones that'll do different things together. So we had we had nobody like that. Like hardly anybody knew each other. So when you asked somebody to go to dinner, you just asked whoever was standing around, or you would just you know blurt out in the bus, "Who wants to go to dinner? We're going to go for this." And they're like we're going over here. So. And then the next time you might be going with a different group completely until you found your friends as the season went on, you got to know everybody and yeah. it was great. We would play, we have a, we had a ping pong table in the middle of the room. We would do that. The guys would play golf. I played with probably every single guy on the team at some point. Uh, and then later, yeah, you start to find guys who have similar interests. Maybe their, their game's the same, or just because they live closer to you, it might be more convenient. But for the most part, you did everything with everybody. And, you know, I think that brought a lot of team camaraderie. How tough did you guys have to be? Uh, I don't know that we had to be that tough, but we were. <laughs> you guys had some. We had Stu Grimson and Todd you guys. We called yeah. them the nuclear deterrence. <laughs> we were plenty tough. Trust I mean, me. Wait, what's, what was the opposition like? Did they, I mean, chirping's part of the game. What yeah. was that like on the ice? And, and but knowing you had these guys that could uh, stand up is for, for everybody. These guys, they under, and they, they were veterans at it. They already understood the game. They understood their game and they understood what they were doing and they didn't really have a star to look after, but they kind of looked after us all like, like, uh, you know, a big brother and they did their fair, fair share of fighting. They did their fair share of chirping and talking. And I mean, Stu might've been one of the best at that. Todd wasn't bad either. Uh, And, you know, it was great because at that time we could, we could afford to, they were playing on a regular basis. You know, the game was such that, you know, you could put them out there and they could get in, throw a puck in four check, run a couple guys and sometimes change the momentum of a game. Yeah. But if anybody did anything silly to anybody on the team, um, they were there for us, you know, and, and it was probably, um, it was great for, I'm sure for Paul to have guys like that sure. available when you're a young kid and you're becoming a superstar really quick you need somebody like that, but even in that first year, it was great to have those guys behind your back because uh, 
everybody's a few inches taller when they're on the bench. <laughs> when you, we started this conversation, um, we chatted about chemistry too with Paul and Tamu, just to name a few. But did you find that guy with the Mighty Ducks that first year? You mean you ended up leading the team in scoring, had a tremendous year in year number one. I believe you played all 82 games. Um, was there a guy that you found chemistry or guys? Yeah, ironically, there was. Uh, you know, I played a little bit with Bob Corkum and mm -hmm. Seminoff. Seminoff ended up getting hurt for a while. Um, and then Gary Volk on one side. But then the guy that I found that had we we played a very similar style and had good instincts together was uh, Tim Sweeney. Okay. So we ended up playing together for, you know, long stretches. But, you know, with injuries and, you know, if things aren't working, of course, the coaches are going to change the lines up a little bit. But I seem to find that we understood and – we knew how to stay close to each other and play a short, uh, short passing game, a short give and go game. And it was somebody that uh, I always enjoyed playing with. And when we had either Seminoff or uh, Bob Corkum in the middle, or sometimes maybe I would play the middle and somebody else would play the other side. Uh, we always seemed to have a little bit of success. So I seem to remember, uh, you know, Tim Sweeney and I getting along pretty well. What uh, take me to, I think we was MSG when he had the hat trick. Right. What was, I mean, the first hat trick in Mighty Ducks history, what was that moment like for you? Well, multiple things for me happened that night. That's, uh, it was November, uh, October 19th, uh, 93. It's my grandmother's birthday. I had a hat trick the year before okay. on her birthday. And ironically, I had a hat trick a couple of years later on her birthday. So wow. for some reason that day was always a good day for me. Yeah. Um, it was our first ever road game. Brian Burke, the general manager of the Hartford Whalers, who left me unprotected, was in the, in the <laughs> building at the game. Good. So there was That's multiple great. things that made it a lot of fun. But the fact that we got went in there and got the win was was probably first and foremost mm -hmm. because, again, you know, everybody says that. Everybody says it's like the most important thing is getting the win. You know, I look back. Yeah, the hat trick was great. Let's let's be honest. I mean, I sure I, it was the only one I ended up getting. But the win was nice because we still had a group that weren't sure if we were going to believe, you know, this is a scary thing, right? You're, you fly all the way across the country. Uh, you take a five, six hour flight, you get to New York and you're playing against the Rangers the next day. This team that's supposed to win the cup, Mark Messier is there, Brian Leach, Richter's in goal. Like this could have been eight or nine to one. Okay. We could have got spanked and we came in there and we won the game. So no matter what happened the rest of the year, we had this belief that we can win hockey games now. And this was only game six of the season. So that was a really important thing. And I think for me, uh, not only did it help me uh, breed a little bit of confidence, but I think as a group, I think we gained an awful lot of confidence. I mean, listen, Guy probably stopped. I don't even know what the shots were. He probably stopped 45. Yeah. <laughs> we got the job done. And that's, uh, you know, that's what's important. Well, I'm glad you brought him up because I... Uh we get to talk so much, but I never get to talk about him. When, when did you realize Guy was going to be the face between the pipes for this team? Pretty early. I mean, when he does things like that and when you go into New York and he stops 40 plus and, and you win against a team like that, you realize that this is a guy that just wasn't given an opportunity. Yeah. Um, was he behind Joseph? Yeah. And in St. Louis, in few others yeah. in St. Louis and just not really getting a chance. Right. And I think a lot of us wanted to believe that that's what we were too. We were in a, we were in a situation that we just weren't getting a chance, whether you were younger like myself or whether you were some of the older guys like Troy Loney or Lattice Stewart, they were kind of getting pushed aside for the next generation. And listen, we still got something to give. And coming here was an opportunity to do that. And, then, you know, Guy worked hard in practice every day. He did all the stuff that great goaltenders, you know, of today do. And to see him, you know, have a long and illustrious career here was um, not a big surprise, to be honest with you. 
for uh, for everything that you went through and the team went through in that first year, what's it like to see the NHL continue to expand and go to a market like Seattle? I'm thrilled about it. I think it's great because for the same reason, I think there's a lot of hockey players. The expansion that we had in 93, 94, we were just getting started with Europeans coming over. Mm-hmm. Then there was multiple. So I think we were teams 22 and three or three and four. So there's been eight more teams since, yeah. right? And a lot of those are filled with you know, players from Russia and around Europe. So now you're seeing, I think, the... And I wouldn't even say it's a saturation yet. I'm betting well, we Vegas could, went to the finals. Right. Right. Yeah. And, so. and look what Seattle's doing right now. It yeah. doesn't, you've got guys who were left unprotected by a bunch of teams in Seattle's, you know, 12, 14 games over 500 this year with a group like that. So I think there's still a lot of good hockey players out there that just don't quite get the opportunity. And things may change even a little bit more now because contracts, sometimes you get, now guys have contracts, maybe they're not playing as well as they should, but they have to play them because they're already tied to that contract. So there's going to be a lot of guys that don't get that opportunity. So expansion's great. Now, are they going to go past 32 right away? I don't know. I mean, can you take the league to 36 and 36 teams in the next 20 years? I'm not sure that that's really the way that you want to do it. I would suspect it's going to probably stay at 32 for quite a while. But I like I like the expansion. I think it's not only fun, it's exciting, but it gives a lot of players an opportunity. And listen, I'm around, I'm here because I got an opportunity and I want everybody else to see all these other kids that maybe are just on the bubble. You'd like to see them get an opportunity and get that chance to see if they can play in the league. What's it been like for you to be part of the first team in this organization's history and then be able to come back and be part of this alumni group? It's been it's been a lot of fun getting back and hopefully bringing some of what the alumni can um, offer to this organization and to this community. It's been, a, it's been great. Uh, Chris Loomis, our alumni director has done a wonderful job getting us uh, back in the fold, um, making us part of different events and organizations. You know, I'm not sure the alumni, you know, my understanding hasn't done a lot in the last uh, 15 or 18 years, but there hasn't been a lot of guys around, you know, obviously when you're a young organization, it takes a while for guys to retire and then settle in. Sometimes it takes two to five years before they actually want to do anything because maybe they're either upset, scarred at the game or trying to figure out their next career. But I think it's a good opportunity now. It's, it's time. It's been almost 30 years. We're closing in on, you know, it's been, it's crazy to think about, but it's closing in on 30 years that uh, this organization has been around and um, you know, we want them to lean on us. We we want to be there. We're more than happy to be, the face of the past, uh, which will hopefully bring some excitement to the future. I mean, the fan base that is now were the teenagers that we signed autographs for when we were playing. So, you know, we hope that they, uh, and and I know that for a fact because I've run into many of them. In fact, I play hockey with a couple of them who brought cards oh, gosh. signed personally to them when they were 12 years old. So it's, uh, those things are a lot of fun to see. And it's, uh, it's, it's really nice to be able to come back and help out a little bit when you first came on the scene hockey in southern california was something new you mentioned the gretzky you know mystique is what kind of brought things out here to the west coast but now you have what the samuelis and the anaheim ducks are doing with junior hockey with great park ice and then terry you got guys i mean handful if not more that are going from the uh junior ducks to the nhl i mean could you even you know uh, put put that in perspective back in the day and then see everything grow the way it's grown. Well, not when we first came here because you looked at the area, there was what one or two ice rinks yes. besides yeah. the Honda. We practiced our entire season here at the Honda center, which was back then the Arrowhead pond of Anaheim. 
and then KHS, which is just around the corner, was here. I don't know that there was one or two. There might have been two other rinks in the whole area. Now there is countless number of rinks, albeit ice is, is pricey, um, but it's pricey all over the country. But there are a lot of good hockey players here. I'm actually coaching a couple of different teams. I'm coaching a 14U team and an 18U team. There's some talent in this area. And I mean, obviously, if we can get more and more kids to play hockey and they take hockey as their sport, we'll get that talented kid that would have been a baseball player, a football player, a basketball player, a golfer, a soccer player, or all the other sports that are available here that in Canada... Most kids don't play because they all play hockey right. or maybe in the Northwest, you know, there's a couple of options, but still hockey's the thing. The more and more kids we can get to play hockey through the excitement of the ducks, through the opportunity because of the building, because of the learn to play program, because of the ducks players, because of the ducks alumni, whatever it be, then we're going to get more and more good players coming out of here. And hopefully we'll have uh, the next Austin Matthews drafted first overall or you know, five first rounders like St. Louis had four or five years ago with uh, with the Chucks and Clayton Kellers and Trent Fredericks and guys and Coonins, those guys that five first rounders out of St. Louis. Um, maybe we can get something like that coming out of Anaheim here soon. And, you know, it'll be uh, it'll be a great feather in the cap of the hockey program. And I think they've built a really good program here and it's being done right. And that's uh, that's going to breed some really talented players. Well, hockey fans, keep your eyes open. Terry Aches around the rink. We've, uh, Guy and I have seen him uh, come by and say hi at the set. So uh, always good to have you come by, say hi, see you there. And uh, don't be a stranger, man. We'll be doing this again. And actually, you're going to sit in uh, with Guy and I on Ducks Weekly coming up here very soon. So thanks for doing this. Thanks for taking the time. And uh, awesome to have your signature up on the wall in the Korea Studios. My pleasure. Great job, guys. Thank you. You got it. This is an Anaheim Ducks original production on Duck Stream.